Welcome to episode 44 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of welcoming Catherine Wilson Linder to the podcast. Catherine is a speech language pathologist, teacher of the deaf, and auditory verbal therapist with more than 40 years of experience as an educator, a therapist, and consultant in public school, private practice, home-based, and clinical settings. From 2014 until 2018, Catherine held the position of coaching and mentoring leader for Hearing First. This followed a position as director of first years at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Catherine is a founding member of the American Cochlear Implant Alliance, ACIA, and has been a member of the coordinating committee for the American Speech and Hearing Association Special Interest Group, Hearing and Hearing Disorders in Childhood, SIG number 9, and has served on the board of directors for The Care Project. Catherine has contributed to the professional literature as an author on several articles on a variety of topics. She provides professional learning opportunities both nationally and internationally and mentors professionals pursuing certification in listening and spoken language practice. It is my pleasure to welcome my friend, Catherine Wilson Linder, to the podcast. So, Catherine, welcome to the podcast. I've been wanting to sit down and do this for a long time. You know, you and I have known each other for a few years. <laughs> Just a few. Just a few. Um, so, um, how did it all start with you? I know you grew up in Boone, and we can start from there. How's that? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to um, be a part of the work that you're doing. Um very honored and I'm very happy to have this opportunity to um, to chat with you. So going back a bit, I actually did not grow did I up. Grow up? <laughs> See, I'm um, already wrong on starting off, so I apologize. Well, good, because Boone is one of my favorite places mm -hmm. on earth. And I was born there, but my parents and I moved away um, when I was only three three and i grew up in high point north carolina oh that's right i remember that. yeah okay and i'm back in that area mm -hmm. now so i have come uh, full circle as one might say mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you grew up in high point <laughs> uh and so um did any any of the sort of deafness or or i know first you were a teacher of the deaf right did, was anything that came up in your childhood or, or through high school that you thought, oh, I can, this was something I might want to major in in college? Actually, not that early in my life. Um, my mother was an educator. She taught first grade for many, many years. And so I had the passion, I suppose, for working with kids and teaching However, I always felt like I wanted to do something a little different than what she had done for her mm -hmm. entire career. So I went off after high school 
um, to Appalachian State University. And at that time, you could get through pretty much the first two years without having to declare what your major was going to be. So I was doing all the required courses for at least mm -hmm. the first year and a half. And then I met a friend of a friend who was a speech pathologist and she actually lives here in, in Greensboro, North Carolina. And in talking with her, I realized that going into communication sciences disorders would allow me that opportunity to work with children at the time in an educational setting rather than a clinical setting um, and fill that that need I had um, to to educate and and to help young children. So I did end up with an undergraduate degree in communication sciences, and my first teaching job was in a public school in Greenville, North Carolina, actually working with children on the spectrum. So mm. still at that point a bit far away from mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. I have landed uh, throughout the course of my career. After that, I moved to Wilmington, North Carolina. I was working with children who had uh, language disorders, and there was no program at that time for children with hearing loss. So my classroom, it was a self-contained classroom, became a bit of a catch-all. So if there was mm -hmm. one child with hearing loss or one child mm -hmm. with a learning disability or um, another child that just wasn't quite ready for mainstream, they came to me. And during that time, I began to um, realize that the my true passion was language development. And then layered onto that came these children who mm -hmm. wore hearing aids at the time. And from there, it evolved into um, being an itinerant and a resource teacher and seeing children who had significant hearing loss. And with mm -hmm. that group of kids, I experienced um, my first cochlear implants and, and they were very late in sure. the big scheme of things. They were seven, eight years of age when they were implanted. But I still get to stay in touch with them today. They're wow. Wow. That's own great. And <laughs> married yeah. and children of their own. So um, right. it's fun to reflect and look back on that time. Sure. Sure. And so that was in Wilmington. Yes. And how long were you there? I lived in Wilmington for about 15 years and during that period i wanted very much to go to graduate school mm -hmm. and the closest um, university that would allow me to go back and and get a master's degree in speech language pathology was two and a half hours away mm -hmm. and there were that was absolutely no remote or virtual um, opportunities at that time. And of course, mm -hmm. I was working full time. So time went on. And ultimately, I had the opportunity um, to work in the school system in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I moved. 
And at that same time, Appalachian State University was offering a tremendous opportunity for working professionals to earn another degree on the weekends and in the summer. And it was designed specifically for school-based professionals. And that was a great fit for me. And at that same time, my parents moved back to Boone, an area where they were both from after Mm -hmm. having lived at High Point for many, many years. And so Charlotte to Boone was very doable (laughs) for me on Mm -hmm. the weekends. And because I was a school-based professional, I had those summer weeks where that I could devote to earning a degree. And so that's how that um, came about. It took longer than the usual two years because it was weekends and summers. And at the end of that journey, I was offered a position on the pediatric cochlear implant team mm-hmm. at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. So I made the move from Charlotte mm-hmm. to Chapel Hill. <laughs> and that's and that's where we start to have we start to cross uh, paths around that time. Um, so you you landed in Chapel Hill with the implant program. That was the end of 1996 when mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I moved there. If if we're thinking back mm. to when our paths first crossed and that kind of thing, I was I was in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, at the university finishing working on my doctorate and we had the AV program and a start of a cochlear implant program there in Columbia. So uh, referring kids up to the team there because we didn't, we didn't, before we got our team, our team off the ground in Columbia, we were referring exclusively to Chapel Hill uh, to, uh, to Carolyn and you and and making sure they got uh, the right evaluations and, and of course get the right, uh, cochlear implants as well. Um, and so, um, I think we kind of officially met at one of the AG Bell meetings, seems like, was it Salt Lake City? I I definitely remember that very Mm -hmm. clearly. And I want to say that maybe that's when you, um, were sitting for For the the MSL exam. That's right. all seems very clear to me. And also Mm -hmm. during that time when I uh, was in Chapel Hill, you were sending um, some of your graduate students our way (laughs) for um, internship, practicum, Mm -hmm. that that kind of thing. So yeah, everything lining up in the the late nineties there when our paths crossed and um, we had many opportunities to connect <laughs> through the graduate students and mm-hmm. summer institutes. That's right. That's right. And the, uh, the graduate students, of course, uh, would go on to continue to influence the program there at Chapel Hill with Hannah and Lillian, who are now full-time and of course been full-time for many years working there on the team. So it's a small little world. Well, and that's one of the things that I appreciate most about this career path, this career journey, the amazing lifelong connections that 
at the time when you meet someone, you might not realize, wow, this person is still going to be a significant influence on my practice. And in turn, hopefully mm-hmm. uh, your significant influences on their practice for years and years. I just think it's one of the most remarkable things. Maybe it happens in other career paths as well, but it's especially noteworthy in ours, I believe. I, I agree. I agree. I, I tell my grad students today that um, to be careful when they meet someone new, because <laughs> you never know what the relationships are. They either, you know, went to school together or worked together or dated each other at some point. <laughs> Small world. So it is a little bit incestuous and 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 a very small world. Um, so yeah. So and then at, at that time, yes, I was. I think I, it was ninety six. I sat for the exam, and um, and that was out at Snowbird, um, at the AG Bell conference, and then uh, we met there, and then we started doing the summer institutes. The first one we did and. University of South Carolina, which was a, a lot of fun, uh, and then back to uh, Chapel Hill the following year, and and then back and forth, and and then um, around 2000, I left to join you actually in North Carolina, because you had then left and started working for the state. That's. <laughs> Exactly what happened in 1999, North Carolina mandated newborn hearing screening, Mm -hmm. uh, as many states were doing at that time. And I had the opportunity to go to the Department of Health and Human Services to head up early intervention for our state. And I know that you know that story very well. I it was not a position that I was seeking at the time, mm-hmm. but rather the Secretary of Health and Human Services, along mm-hmm. with the Director of the Cochlear Implant Program and the Chief of Otolaryngology at UNC, encouraged um, me to go and do that. They felt that the background in listening and spoken language could be very helpful in guiding where our state needed to go in providing early intervention services. So that was very different for me. I had never been an administrator, nor had I ever <laughs> desired to be an administrator. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to make it abundantly clear as I moved out of the position at UNC and over to DHHS that I really just wanted to work with kids and families. And if there was right. even small way I could continue to do that while guiding this process forward um, with early intervention, then I would do it. I also thought at the time that I was going on loan and that in 12 to 18 months, I would be back doing evaluations and therapy and meeting families, working with kids, just starting out on their cochlear implant journey, but that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the state made it very um, difficult for me to go back because they were willing to, um, I'll just be real honest, you know, pay me more mm-hmm. than I could take back at, at the university if I stayed on. Right. 
And the truth of the matter is, like many state systems, your retirement is based on your mm-hmm. highest four years of income. And even mm-hmm. the big scheme of the things, it certainly wasn't a lot of money, but it was significant to think ahead and retirement and that kind of thing. So I stayed and goodness, I stayed until I don't know, seven, eight years I stayed there, maybe longer. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But you like you said, you came to North Carolina to be part of that effort. That's right. And 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 as I recall. I was interviewing in Birmingham, Alabama, okay. and had, had interviewed first uh, for a position there. Um, and I, Maria, my wife, uh, for those who may not know, Maria and I had driven over from Columbia to Birmingham for a second interview. And that's when we got a message to call you. <laughs> <laughs> and. Bye. And how many hotels did you call to try to find out where I was staying? Because I don't think I'd mentioned that. I don't specifically remember <laughs> that. And I might not have remembered that piece at all without uh-huh. reminding me. But uh, yes, I guess timing is everything and persistence, right. perhaps. <laughs> so when we chatted, and I called you, you said, don't take the position, come to Chapel Hill and sit down with me and 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 Jack Roush. And so Maria said, let's get out of here. (laughs) So we turned around and canceled the interview there, the second interview and drove, I dropped her off in Columbia and drove on up to Chapel Hill. That's right. I think as I look back on that, I saw what a win-win it could be for the academic program at UNC and the aspiring speech language pathologists and audiologists who wanted and needed to know more about listening and spoken language, as well as what we were doing Mm -hmm. over at DHHS uh, to expand early intervention and the follow-up from the newborn hearing screening for those children that referred there. There was a lot, (laughs) there was a lot going on at that Uh time. There was a lot, and of course, we we I, I took the position there at the HHS, and then had a was on loan, I guess, uh, as, as you use that term, to UNC Chapel Hill to uh, to help them continue to train students, graduate students, uh, which was a, a wonderful mix for me. Um, the, what the challenge was, as you recall, around that time, this is early like two thousand two thousand one. Um, that's when the tech industry kind of bottomed out and people in the course, the, the state economy, uh, the budgets went down and, and everyone was, you know, cutting positions and all of that stuff. And, and we had bought a house there and, and um, it was crazy. And uh, so the economic pictures just suddenly just went down. <laughs> And uh, and so it was a bit of a challenge because I think I think I got rift once and then moved into a different position, same salary, everything. But, you know, it was it was those it was like musical chairs, you know, where, where are you going to put me now and move over here? And we'll just put you on paper here. And so that was always um, a little nerve wracking at the time. But and then I, I 
got the call from A.G. Bell and went to A.G. Bell um, <clears throat> from there. But you stayed uh, at DHHS. You know, I think I had forgotten you were there for another seven or eight years getting through yeah, all maybe that. Yeah, a little bit closer to 10 years. I would have to yeah, go back wow. and really look at that on paper. So after the early intervention position, and we changed superintendents along the way. Right. Um, we were seeing that there were more and more of these um, sort of preschool programs, self-contained preschool programs for children in public schools going away. I think mm -hmm. a lot of the thinking, um, and some of it, rightly so, is that children were being identified at or near birth. They had... Um, early access to technology, earlier cochlear implants, that these self-contained preschool programs for children with hearing loss were not going to be needed for that three to five population. A lot of school systems were closing those programs, and mm -hmm. yet we were hearing this cry for help from the professionals in the schools that not all children were fitting that mold, if you will, that there were still kids coming um, late and language delayed, and there was a lack of personnel in the school systems to meet the needs. So um, the superintendent at the time and others agreed that an outreach program, we called it the resource support program, was needed. So we established the resource support program. I headed that up. We mm -hmm. had several team members located in various parts of the state to provide regional coverage, if you will. So we would go out, uh, we get a referral about a need in the public school. We would go out Often we did the evaluations and looked at the services that were in place, but the ultimate goal was to um, develop a plan, most of the time a long-term plan that included training of staff or how mm -hmm. a school system might contract with someone to get appropriate personnel in. But the goal was to get these kids caught up in language so that ultimately they could be mainstreamed um, with minimal or no support. I did that for a number of years and a version of that program is still it's in totally. place. It was housed mm -hmm. at HHS <clears throat> when I was there. It's in the Department of Public Instruction now with one of our certified colleagues heading that up. <laughs> right. Is that Krista? No, that's actually oh. Sherry Bernelson. Oh, Sherry. I sorry. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's right. Yeah. I see I see things that she posts every now and again from Yes. And from Crystal all that. was on that team for a while and she's um with A B now. Yeah, that's okay. That's right. Um and so when I'm trying to think. So did you retire from that program? Actually, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> At the beginning, when you said we're just basically going to kind of do this is your life, I said, how long do you have? <laughs> um, so I left there 
um, around, I'm going to say, 2007, 2008, and went back to UNC, but then on the academic side, whereas Mm -hmm. the earlier years I'd been on the clinical side, on the pediatric cochlear implant team, Mm -hmm. I went back to UNC on the academic side and headed up first years, which was an online distance education program that you're familiar with. Very familiar. Yeah, I I just totally forgotten about that. Yeah. Yes. So there were uh, professionals all around the country who wanted to up-level their knowledge and skill set, listening, spoken language. And first years was, I think, maybe the only Mm -hmm. option like that available for people to, it was asynchronous learning. We didn't have opportunities like so many programs do today to, to meet online, to discuss content or cases, that kind of thing. But we had modules that covered several different domains and um, the participants actually received graduate credit, Mm -hmm. even though many of them, if not most of them already had, um, a master's degree. So I did that until 2014. And then Lori and then retired. (laughs) And then then Lori took over. Right. Actually Lori preceded me. She was before you. Okay. That's right. Yeah. I'm trying to get Lori took an hour. Right. Get my timelines overlapping here. That's okay. Um she she was the first director Mm -hmm. of first years and uh, quite excellent and skilled in developing online distance education programs. So she was pursued Mm -hmm. by, I believe, a university um, in Pennsylvania and left North Carolina. And then I stepped in to that role until Mm -hmm. late spring of 2014. I retired from the state of North Carolina Mm -hmm. the very last day of May and the very next day, June 1st, I began working full-time for hearing first. So that's um, retirement into full-time employment and um, very seamless. It was very seamless. Right. Well, good. Good. Well, they, they are very fortunate to have you. And so let's let's talk about hearing first because it it started off as a this concept and and now it has just grown so much in terms of what you guys are doing. Uh, so let's let's talk about that. And you want to give me a quick for those most people probably listening to the podcast would know what hearing first is, but there may be some who are new and and still learning uh, the lay of the land. So how would you describe hearing first? I would describe hearing first. Well, let me just back up and say I was one of the initial team members and it was a startup. It it was Mm -hmm. a concept like none other at the time. And it's still a, a unique one of a kind program. And I'm not working Mm -hmm. full time for hearing first any longer. I just do a little consultant and mentoring of Mm -hmm. aspiring professionals. But all that to say, from the very beginning, it was conceptualized as 
like two doors. Over here is a door for professionals and over here is a, a door for families. Um, and it is a one stop um, place, I believe, for professionals who want to, again, up level their skills. There are so many resources. There are discussion forums. If I have a, a need or a family that um, maybe I don't have all the answers about how to help them, or I want to know about a particular assessment that I've heard about, or I want to know who's working with a child that has a particular syndrome, I can post a question and immediately mm -hmm. have on my computer the input from professionals all over the world, right. um, which is amazing. And then there are a variety of learning experiences. Most of them are four weeks in length that cover mm -hmm. all the domains of listening and spoken language. There is a, a mentoring program, a journey towards certification. Um, there's so much there, handouts, you name it, um, with access to the world's most amazing professionals like yourself. So that, um, I think, fills a, a big need um, in our field to bring people together virtually um, mm -hmm. and online that may never meet each other in person or may never be able to attend an AG Bell conference. And then the family side, I know less about because I'm not a part of that, but that is also a place where families, regardless of where they live in the world, can connect with other families who are starting the journey like they are or much farther along on the journey. So mm -hmm. it's just been a wonderful opportunity for me to be a part of it um, and to see when I sign on to a learning experience, the numbers of people that are joining from all the many places in the world that they're joining and you know, looking back in time, there was a time when you and I knew everybody <laughs> that had yes. an, an interest, in, right? Even right, right. Interest in listening to spoken language. And now you see so many faces and mm -hmm. names um, in so many different places in the world. It's very encouraging and inspiring. Right. Right, I agree. I, you know, we were such a small community, a community at one point. <laughs> you did know everyone, but uh, not not as much anymore. Is yeah. that? Yeah, I, I do see people who've gotten certified. You know, like on LinkedIn or something like that. And it's like, oh, she's the soul certified. Who the heck is she? <laughs> I never heard of her. <laughs> or we're now, dating ourselves, right? That that's it, right. Um, we were so small that um, we knew the names and and faces and. It's not that way at all anymore, um, but truly is very encouraging that more <clears throat> children and their families are going to have access, regardless of where they live in the world, to qualified and ultimately certified listening spoken language professionals. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So let's let's talk about the that 
process in a sense that, you know, there are people out there who are thinking about this and or maybe new graduates from, uh, you know, coming out of grad school, wanting to start their careers and are very interested in becoming LISL certified. What advice would you give them today? Well, I think um, these individuals, you know, coming out of various programs, some of them will have a jump start um, mm-hmm. in learning the content and applying their skills, depending on on where they go. And and then I think there's still a lot of people that don't get that in their undergraduate graduate training. And so they have to start somewhere when they get out, maybe because we've, you know, just spoken about hearing first. I think that that's mm-hmm. a, a good go-to place, regardless of what you got in your academic training, or if you didn't get much at all, um, to start start there. Connect with um you know, reach out through that discussion forum, you know, with Mm -hmm. your situation. I'm a new grad. I'm interested in and describe that. And there's someone there in that professional learning community that will respond to you, welcome you to the community, share with you some basic um, resources and information and learning experiences to help one get started. So I, I do think that Hearing First is a wonderful go-to place um, for an aspiring professional, someone who's considering um, what they want to do going forward, as well as for more seasoned professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, I find myself now, because I'm not an audiologist, and the technology changes and te- mm-hmm. many, you know, testing procedures and these kinds of things that I don't do or talk about with anyone on a day-to-day basis, yet I mentor aspiring professionals. And so Hearing First gives me a, a place where I can encourage the people I'm working with, take this learning experience on mm-hmm. um, audiological management and testing, because you will learn so much more there than I would be able to, to teach you. Right. I, I I agree. I agree. It's it's it. Um, that's one of the hardest things about our job today is that trying to keep up with the hearing technology because it is constantly changing. Right. Um, I'm fortunate with where I am with um, um, being at Akron Children's Hospital. I'm I'm in I'm sort of housed in the ENT center, surrounded by pediatric audiologists who are, nice. you know, pretty much on top of things. Um, so it's easy for me to stick my head out the door and say, hey, I have a question or this mom has a question that I can't answer. Do you guys, you know, someone available to address this? Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's a little intimidating these days of trying to keep up with some of that. And I do the best job that I can, but I'm, I'm like you. It's, it gets to a point I'm just like, oh, hold on. I, I don't know that answer, but I will find the answer for you. <laughs> and let me see what I can do. And I think from the beginning, like, you know, we've, stated I, I was part of hearing first from the beginning and one of the concepts that really drove our thinking and what we wanted to put in place is 
What if you're that lone early intervention specialist in a very rural, remote part of the United States and there's one little child with a cochlear implant that you are responsible for their care and their management and there's no one else in your community with any knowledge of cochlear implants or um, best practices mm-hmm. for families who want their their child to listen and talk. Then hearing first can be there for that person as well as someone who wants to specialize um, long term, like we have. Right, right. Well, I think the the impact that hearing first is having is just phenomenal. Uh, not only in this country, but around the world. So it really is amazing what it has become and what you guys have created in these, what, seven, no, how many years now? Seven, eight, nine years <laughs> that it's, it's been going. It's amazing. Remarkable, yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and there was a lot of, you know, when I say back in 2014, when we had not launched anything at that point. That was, you know, a couple of years of writing and mm-hmm, being mm-hmm. in development. So, yeah. Well, I, I remember being in Oklahoma City uh, around like 2015 or so uh, and and talking with Teresa and Wendy who are there. Uh, and uh, the room was just one little office building that they were using at the time renting right. and uh trying to get the internet internet connected and you know i mean it was it was very interesting and, and sort of their you know they had stuff kind of sketched out and things on like a bulletin board or whiteboard yeah. you know it was just sort of uh this is the concept and this is how we're gonna grow this thing so it was, it was really really exciting to see somewhat of the vision then but it con- continues to evolve and grow which is wonderful does it does yes so that's what i would do i would encourage people to um, check out hearing first as well as if they have a person in their community or hospital or school that's uh, farther mm-hmm. along on their journey in listening spoken language those face-to-face connections are also important um i think you know we're seeing some conferences come back both in person right. uh, as well as opportunities online. Um, mm-hmm. So all of those things are important for people to find um, what is most helpful for them to help them meet their needs in terms of their professional growth and development. Sure. And how hard is it to find a mentor these days, would you say? That's a great question. The mentoring that I have done for the past six years has been through hearing first. And, you know, that's um, a part of what hearing first does. But at any one time, there's usually not more than 20 people across two cohorts. So our colleague Hannah and I are finishing up in early 2023 with a group of seven. Mm -hmm. And then I know there's another group, hopefully of 10 or so, but that doesn't even come close to um, 
meeting the need for mentors. I was on a, a mentor call yesterday through AG Bell, and there were a lot of mentors. So that was also encouraging. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't tell you exactly how many, but I want to say there were probably 40 or 50 mentors on that call. And I know that they had one the day before. Again, I don't don't know how many. So to answer your question, I would hope that it's getting easier Mm -hmm. to find a mentor. And because of the A.G. Bell Listening Spoken Language uh, Directory, an individual can go there um, and find out who is mentoring. Um, I would also guess that quite a few people are getting mentored through their workplace. So that might be an easier path than if you have to seek a mentor on your own and right. then compensate that person. That's a part of it. I think mm-hmm. ongoing for some people um, that may be prohibitive. Right, exactly. Yeah. I'm optimistic that it's getting (laughs) easier. It truly is one of the things that I enjoy doing now that I'm somewhat retired. Um, I do carve out time during my week to meet with aspiring professionals and look at videos. And with today's technology, it's all possible to do without face-to-face interaction except through zoom (laughs) that's right that's right the the power of technology right right (laughs) (laughs) well Catherine, it's been wonderful catching up and uh we have to do this more often when we're not even interviewing (laughs) each other but just just chatting um but it's great catching up and and checking in with you and it's been wonderful sort of reliving some of these uh, different experiences, shared experiences, and some unshared, but um, sort of going through your life uh, and and seeing the incredible impact that you've had over the years. And you've, you have had a, a tremendous impact on me personally and professionally, and I just want to thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate that more than words can say. As I said, Um, back near the start, I value the relationships and the friendships I've made. And I count you um, among one of my dearest colleagues and friends. And again, I appreciate the opportunity to sit down and chat with you a bit. Great. Well, have a a great holiday. The holidays are coming up. So have, have a great time and we'll probably see you in the new year. All right. I want to thank Catherine once again for joining me on the podcast. She has been someone that has been a dear friend and colleague for many years and someone that I have always looked up to. And she continues to be one of those individuals that makes me want to be a better person and a better clinician, a better professional. And I wish her nothing but continued happiness in everything that she's doing. And Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please, if you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to attract new listeners and to grow this podcast. And share it with your friends and colleagues, and maybe we'll get some new subscribers that way too. And I do apologize. It's been a little while since I have released an episode. I definitely, definitely will 
as one of my goals for 2023 is to have more frequent episodes. And uh, this past fall, fall of 2022, kind of got away from me with other things on my plate. But uh, I am really committed to making sure we get more episodes of The Listening Brain published. So hang with me. I promise more to come. And with that, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. 